In this episode of Agri Insider, we sit down with a passionate British former chef who found his calling as a produce wholesaler at Very Fast, a leading UK fresh produce grower, wholesaler, and distributor. Nick delves into the challenges farmers are facing due to tight margins and rising input costs. This talk will leave you with a fresh perspective on why it's important to support local agriculture near you. Hi, Nick. Thank you for joining us today on Agri Insider. It's such a pleasure to have you on the show with us. No problem at all. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Well, it's been a long time coming because, um, you know, we've worked together in so many different contexts and we're just excited to now finally also have you as a guest on our podcast. It's kind of, I think, uh, the pinnacle uh, next step in our professional relationship, right? Absolutely. Yeah, you're probably not wrong. All the way uh, back from when I first got a phone call from somebody trying to trade some limes out of Rotterdam to however many companies and now sat here doing this. So exactly. yeah, it's certainly been a journey. It has. No, and, and it's really important to me and it's a reason why I also asked you to come onto the show uh, to highlight what it, what the produce world looks like and to really uh, un uncover a bit the daily life of someone trading. I mean, as a lot of people know in our audience, I used to be a fruit trader. Um, you know, that was my my daily bread. And um, that's where we met was in our kind of fruit trading or when I was a fruit trader. Um, and it's an exciting industry. It's it's filled with action and just chaos, <laughs> right? Which I'm sure you're going to tell us all about later. Um, so it's just really nice because it's it's a it's a special part of my career and it's a special part of my journey um, that I'm excited to kind of bring into the podcast. All right, so let's get started. I really want to just start quite generally. Um, learn a little bit about what actually got you into agri food produce. What what took you into this world? So I I started as a chef. Um, I was a chef for a few years, and I I, I got to, I just I sort of got to a point with that where um, just hours hours weekends. Christmases, bank holidays, everything. Just you, you're always at work. Um, so I, the only thing I really knew was was food, which was how I ended up um, sort of taking a sidestep into into produce, and then coincidentally ended up still doing a job where you work weekends, long hours, and bank holidays. But there we go. That's another conversation. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that was the best move in that sense. If you were trying to avoid but yeah, the bank that's policy. really how how it how it happened. It was it was a sort of natural sidestep from. This is something I already know about, albeit from a slightly different angle, um, and then took the step over and started in the produce world. So you're pretty you're pretty young still, um, and you've been working at very fast now for how many years uh eight years this year wow okay eight years that that is quite uh that makes you quite like a senior i would say at, at very fast but before that you were a chef um that means you've been kind of working in food and agriculture for for how many years if you combine your chef in, life with the, it's what 10 12 probably 13 or 14 years in total Okay. around sort of food and, and the food trade if you like yeah so that's almost a lifelong career in the food and agri sector it sounds like uh yeah and all all done by the time i'm nearly 30 so there we go <laughs> um but yeah it, it's 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 sort of the only thing it's the only thing i know really it's the only thing i have any sort of knowledge about is is food and especially produce. Hence the reason I'm here with you. Absolutely. So did you always want to be in, in kind of food and agriculture or was that something, I mean, when you were a kid, was it, I want to be a chef one day or, uh, or how did you get into this? Absolutely not. So um, yeah, there isn't any sort of shining stars of fresh produce. I, uh, well, yeah, like all small kids, I wanted to be a pilot. But I wasn't really very academic. Um, so around the age of probably 14 or 15, 
um, and I used to do a little bit of, I was doing a bit of work actually at one of the local school clubs in the village that I grew up in. And one of, one of the kids' dads owned a pub. And I remember him saying that, that he, uh, he'd been let down on a Saturday night and needed someone to go and wash the dishes. So I said, okay, I'll do it. And that, and that, and that was it. So I remember I went down there and it was my first job and I used to get £15 a shift uh, to, to wash up pots and dishes. And, then, and it just went from there. And then the job from there turned into, turned into a bit of cooking, bit of chefing. And then from there went to college. Um, and it just really became the only thing I had any sort of interest in, really. Which sounds quite terrible, but there we go. No, I mean, I think that's a wonderful journey from dishwasher to produce specialist. And did I hear you did end up going to college then too? I did. I did two years at catering school. Yeah, to sort of to learn the the, the chefing thing. Um, yeah, and then I did that for for four or five years, and then I got to twenty twenty one, and just actually this isn't quite what I want to do. And then the opportunity came along um, to start work uh, actually for a, for a catering company, serving the pubs and restaurants and all that sort of thing. And then, yeah, that was about 18 months and then started and then started doing what we're doing now. Wow. Incredible. No, and, and I love hearing people who have these really kind of salt of the earth stories where, you know, and, and I've had the privilege of visiting your your hometown and or where you work um, and seeing some of the wonderful British pubs. So when you were just saying you went to the local pub and, you know, someone just needed a dishwasher, the whole kind of experience of having fish and chips at that local place there by you, it just all came to life for me. So, um, you know, and, and I love that you had to work for so little money and just built your career kind of slowly within this food, mm. agri, catering, restaurant space. I think it's, I think it's really special um, and yeah, really wor- a journey worth highlighting. So looking a little bit more to today, what drives your passion now to stay in this space or what, what, what makes you excited to get up in the morning and work in fresh produce? I, a few, re- a few things really. One, I, I love that no two days are the same. There's, and you know what it's like from your days trading. There's there's no two days in our job that are the same. And the other thing, really, I think it's it's just being a very very small cog in the enormous global machine that is the produce trade. You know, and I think now more than ever, which I'm sure we'll come on to shortly. Um, now more than ever, there is a serious need for everybody to start working a little bit more together in order to keep the machine turning the way it does uh, and that that's nice to be a part of you know the the, the company i work for now um initially owned run set up by farmers we still farm now uh, hundreds of acres of farmland with various crops and that's that's a lovely thing to be a part of and you can see it through from start to finish you know when when it goes in the ground all the way through to our customers, customers, and then you see it eventually on a plate or wherever it ends up. Um, and that, that's a big part of, of why I love the job. Because they're, 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 I think certainly there needs to be a, a huge emphasis drive towards British farming. And not that there isn't now, but I think it needs to be emphasised even more over the coming years and tens of years. Yeah. So this is maybe a good segue then. So tell us a bit about what, what you're doing now and where, where you're working and um, how the company's set up. Um, well, the company was originally set up by two farmers. Cool. That's the, that's the lock and short. It was, it was, it was two farmers um, who came together, piled their resources together and then created the business that, that we now have. And we import and distribute from, import from all over the world, distribute all around the country, export a bit. Um, and it goes into wholesalers, caterers, manufacturers, processors, you name it, in, in any sort of quantities that people need, really. Um, yeah, we import from 
all over the world as well as i mean we, we grow a lot of our own stuff and then anything that we can't grow is imported from all four corners of the earth wow really 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 cool so what is your role in all this are you on the import the export um what what is what are so you are you, i used to um predominantly now more of a sales role up until very recently so up until a few months ago i was more heavily involved in the importing side of the business and buying from overseas bringing it in predominantly salads um spain holland italy that sort of thing uh but over the last couple of months my role has changed slightly now to do more sales and growing that side of the business and finding new avenue we all know it's 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 a tough job and it's only going to get harder um so you know we need to be out there and more more so for the the british side of our business and the farming side of our business because that's that's only begun only going to become harder and harder and harder as the years go on yeah you know um mainly down to just costs that's the bottom line it comes down to costs and everybody wants to cover it and and talk about it through rose-tinted glasses but ultimately costs of everything going through the roof i mean it impacts all industry whether you're building conservatories or driving a taxi or growing in a field you know just the spiraling costs impact everybody but there will always be a demand for british produce i think and you know part of part of our role is to make sure that that's there for people yeah absolutely and i think um i we're definitely going to unpack a bit more about how potentially also brexit has changed things and how kind of the especially the british landscape is looking for produce and 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 in general the farming community and kind of the whole agri-food supply chain has been really under spotlight i think especially since brexit mm -hmm. in the uk so I, we're going to definitely unpack a little bit more of that but it sounds like at the moment, just to kind of hone in on your daily life and your role, you're kind of selling to the people that you used to work for, or the, I guess the people you used to be. <laughs> yes, yeah, and, and, and yeah, you can follow it down the chain all the way to the people cooking in the pubs and restaurants. Um, so yeah, my, my, I used to put it on a plate, and then I went to go and work for the company who supplied the chef, and now I work for the company that supplies the company that supplies the chef. I just sort of followed it back back through the chain that way, which which is nice. It's 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 a nice thing to be able to say and do. So no, it's a, it's interesting because it's a similar kind of even journey to myself. You know, from the farm to the trader to the startup. I mean, it's 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 a very similar. Um, yeah, kind of kind of journey, and I think it has a lot to do with curiosity, right? Wanting to uncover where what's behind it, what where did my food come from? What's this, you know, where are these products being produced? And 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 I guess for me it was the other way around, you know, where is my fruit going to that I put in a bin and it gets shipped out? And I and I think there is this really, and I I think I see this in you too, this natural curiosity for how everything works together and and kind of um, functions. So okay. What does a day in your life look like? I mean, you're you're a produce trader. It's hectic. It's busy. But but maybe walk us through what what a day in the life of Nick looks like today. Well, like we said, no two days are the same. But it's 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 normally office for six, half six, um, and then I mean, like I've said I've said to you before over lunch, give me a a list of people to talk to and a phone and that's pretty much how the, the first few hours of the morning go there's there's hundreds of people caterers wholesale markets everybody um you know we're, we're not naive there's, there's plenty of people out there doing a similar job to what we do so in it's certainly in the role that, that i play in the business now it's it's about finding what you've the, the the different trying to differentiate between what you've got against the competition and getting out there and it's more it's building relationships with people you know i the one thing i don't like is is 
is having having customers having people to accounts to look after and manage but not building relationships with those people and purely just using them as uh, as a way to generate income i'm all for you, you build relationships with people you build friendships with people and then go from there so yeah over the course of a morning i mean i don't know how many people i speak to but it's a lot um especially when you end up chatting to people on the phone for half an hour at a time but there you go <laughs> like when you phone me um but yeah so it, it, it's all about that it's just about moving the stock whatever's coming uh we'll get a report every day and you know telling us what comes off the farm what we've got uh, and you know better than most in in produce is you, you can't just sit back and kick your feet up which is another reason why it's such a fun industry to work in you know it's not like the warehouse is full of cupboard doors that will still be there in two years time you've got a very very short window in which to move the product from the minute it arrives from wherever it may be whether it's arrived from africa or the farm down the road from when it arrives you've got a very short window of which that produce is the best it can be to move it onwards otherwise ultimately you let customers down they let their customers down they let their customers down and the knock-on effect is huge so it's fast paced, you know, the mornings, you've got a few hours in the morning where it's, it's, it's seriously fast paced. Um, and ultimately, we're just trying to do the best job we can for the people on the end of the phone. Um, and then after that, it's, it's all the boring stuff. It's all the paperwork. It's all the buying, import, documents, Brexit, all the, all the not so fun things. The fun bits sort of between 6am and 11, I would say. So I think, you know, I kind of know how a fruit trading office looks like and how it works. But for a lot of our listeners, they, you know, never step foot into um, a cool where a cool house with, you know, boxes and pallets of avocados and broccoli. And, you know, and you mentioned something really interesting. You said, um, you have this really short window where you're able to actually move the goods, sell the goods. Yes. Um, and that's a huge challenge, right? I mean, I think, you know, you look at other industries, you know, I don't know, even the computer and technology industry, right? There isn't a shelf life. Uh, affiliate it's a, yeah, it's a very, very big challenge. And it's even more of a big challenge because what, what a vast number of the population I would say probably all over the world don't realize is that just because you go into a supermarket and your cucumber in the supermarket is 90 pence January to December, uh, that, that isn't representative of the global market, if you like, of a cucumber. You know, we, I suppose the, 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 the general public are, you walk into a supermarket, you see the price of things and you notice they never really change. Um, but that's not what happens behind the scene. Not certainly from our side. You know, I know the supermarket trade has contracts in place with growers and imports and whatever. But when you're involved in the side of the job that I do in terms of wholesaling, importing and wholesaling on the open market, if you like, um, the prices aren't stable at all you know you've got the auctions in holland you've got uh, the the quantities coming out of spain um the minute there's volume the prices go down the minute there's no volume it's tight the prices go up so you know we can have things in the fridge for example and i'm just pulling figures out the air but we can have you know a container of something in the fridge that's cost us eight pounds a box mm -hmm. tomorrow it might only be worth five the day after that it might be worth seven the day after that it might be worth 12 the day after that and that's why it's so important to sort of keep up the the fast-paced nature of of the business that's why it needs to be i mean it's a fast-paced environment anyway but it almost needs to be because the goods that you're trading 
and don't have that much of it, especially thing you know things like dairies. You've you've got a few because the one thing that we have to make sure is that once it's left our business, it goes to our customer. They might have it for a day or two before it gets to their customer, and ultimately most of their customers are then putting it on plates in restaurants or whatever. And as a paying guest in one of those establishments, you want it to be right. Absolutely. So this sounds, I mean, and I've seen it firsthand, but I, you're just reminding me how much risk there is in this business. Um, I mean, what you just described from the, from the entire kind of moment, it hits the, your warehouse, you know, the prices could be changing every single day. You might even be selling at a loss. Um, I mean, how do you manage that kind of potential loss risk? I mean, are you using data? Do you, is it relationships? Like what, how as a business, do you guys kind of, um, reduce that risk? I suppose that's the, like, you, it's a tough one because you can, you can look at as many spreadsheets as you like and you can run as much data as you like and you can you can you, you can add everything together with your import costs and your transport costs and your farm costs and everything and if the let's say the end figure you get to is 10 pounds if on any given day the open market for that product is seven pounds you're just not going to sell it you you know it's all about it's all about buying right and selling right and when it goes wrong, it can go wrong in spectacular fashion. But again, for me, it's a it's it's a huge, huge part of the job that, and I and I'm sure I've ranted about it to you before when we've been in the pub, and I've and I've ranted about it to everybody because it is something that really annoys me is that the supermarkets have created a bubble for fresh produce it doesn't actually exist. You know, and I, I don't really know what the answer is is for it. it um, you know, when you can go into Lidl and Aldi and buy a, a kilo of carrots for nineteen pence. In our world, carrots are traded in ten kilo bags. So at nineteen pence for a kilo, you're talking about one pound ninety a bag delivered to the store. Now. I can assure you now, nobody's making any, not even at Aldi, not even at, it probably costs them more than 19 pence to pay somebody to put them on a shelf. So what is the point? Why are we using produce as a loss leader? Because we shouldn't, mm. because the amount of, the amount of effort that's gone into putting, to use those carrots, I just, spoke about let's use those as an example the amount of effort that has been put into putting those carrots in that bag is far greater than the effort used for let's say other items in that store you know they're not they're not made in a frozen in a field plenty of other materials in order to do so and yeah. I think that it's, it's one of the big, in my, in my opinion, it's one of the biggest issues facing our industry is this, that the public aren't really aware of. So you said it's a really big issue that um, the general public doesn't, um, the general public doesn't realize the potential loss that, the industry yeah absolutely the supermarkets are putting but uh, to be honest i mean it opens up a whole nother conversation about farmers and supermarkets but ultimately whether it's the farmer or the supermarket when they're selling produce for that cheap whether it's the farmer or the supermarket one of them is losing a hell of a lot of money now there are plenty of discussions you can have as to whether it's the farmer or the supermarket but that's another conversation for another day um and i just don't you know when I, I don't get it i don't understand why it happens yeah. when 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 the supermarkets do these super six super seven deals and you can buy kilos two and a half kilos of potatoes for 
20 pence. I, I just, I, I don't, I, I just don't think it should be allowed to happen because it doesn't give anybody a sort of clear indication as to what's actually happening. And, and then when, when the prices do go up, you know, when there was, it was only a couple of months ago, wasn't probably more than that now, probably six or eight months ago, when there was no tomatoes in the supermarket and there was all sorts of posts on social media in the UK because everybody had ran out of tomatoes and there was absolute bedlam because nobody could make their salads at home. But it's not like you can just turn on, you know, turn the factory up to 12 and make some more. It's, they, it's a product that's grown in the ground. If there isn't any, there isn't any. Right. You can't just, you know, extend the shift and grow some more. No, you're, you're, you're completely spot on. And I think uh, a lot of people realized, and I think a lot of people even realized um, in the UK, especially after Brexit and then COVID, you know, not to really take your, your food supply or your food, right, for granted. Mm -hmm. um, or at least I hope people realize that because you're absolutely spot on. You can't just say overnight, Oh, you know, we need more X, Y, Z. And I think, you know, especially places like Europe, the United States, we have had a little bit of that luxury because there's always been the option to, oh, well, you know, we need some carrots. We'll just buy it out of, you know, Mexico or we'll buy it out of, you know, God knows where. There's always somebody they'll be willing to sell to these major um, Western markets, right? But I think kind of my perception is that after Brexit and after, um, you know, COVID, the UK kind of had some elements of isolation, right? And that's why we heard the most reportings out of the UK of empty shelves, empty produce shelves, right? Um, but again, I wasn't there. So, you know, what what is your perception on the kind of shifts specifically in the UK market um, when it comes to, I don't know, things like Brexit, but food availability? You know, food availability... It's, I mean, again, I, I'm going to go on about predominantly produce, but I mean, food availability in general, but produce is obviously what we both know. The food, of the, the, the produce availability has been so good for so long. You go into any supermarket in any town or city in the country and buy pineapples. You can buy strawberries all year round. You can buy berries all year round. Now, now for me, and again, it's probably because I'm viewing it as somebody who works in the industry, but for me, that's a luxury. If I can go and buy a pineapple in December from the supermarket, that's a luxury. That shouldn't necessarily be a given. So when COVID hit and the flights were great, stopped sailing and it... It was almost, and this is probably going to sound horrendous, and it impacted lots of people's businesses, but it was also quite refreshing because, you know, I remember the, the, the shops were filled with things that were grown in Britain. You know, there was, there was, there was kale, there was Cavallo Nero, there was, there was stem broccoli, there was all sorts of British products on shelves. And when everybody started getting sort of home deliveries from various greengrocers and veg wholesalers. And in the boxes was British produce because really that's all you could get at the time because we're used to having, you know, flights out of Thailand every day with baby corn, rambutan, mangosteen, lemongrass, every day flights from Thailand. There we go. But COVID came and the flight stopped. So nobody could get their dragon fruit. Nobody could get their mangoes from South America. You know, you might be lucky if you got space on an airliner once a week, but then everybody was fighting over the space and it drove all the prices up. So everybody, there was a very short, I mean, it's sort of that, that side of the business sorted itself out after sort of six months, but it, it was quite refreshing. So I suppose it sort of reminded people that British produce is still there. And and for me, that's the way it should be. It should be British first, imported second. I was wondering, though, so, you know, you've talked a lot about how um, COVID, you know, we saw supply chains break down. 
then we saw the importance of UK produce and kind of localized markets um, increase. Now, you know, it seems like, I mean, at least personally or anecdotally, it feels like people have kind of forgotten that COVID even happened. Um, you know, how do you see the future of British agriculture, British produce, um, kind of in this post pandemic setting? I, I, I mean, Brexit has only impacted the supply from Europe. So the supply from outside of Europe, everything that was being imported from Asia, Africa, America, South America, none of that has really changed. Um, and the only thing it's really impacted in Europe is paperwork. It's, a, it's paperwork and it's harder to get things into the UK. Now, I suppose that I think the future of fresh produce, uh, rightly or wrongly, I think it probably looks exactly the same as it does now. Um, again, I touched on it a minute ago. Um, I think as a as an uh, not just as a nation it's the, it's the same everywhere you go we've got so like i said a minute ago so used to being able to buy avocados pineapples melons strawberries 12 months a year as much as i know as as british growers we would and i'm sure i'd speak on behalf of every other british grower there is um as we'd love to see it go back at least to some sort of seasonality and the major retailers supplying seasonal when they can. I, it's probably not the right thing to say, but I can't see it happening because, because of the costs that now surround growing in Britain versus growing in Africa. It's cheaper to put it on an aeroplane fly it into Heathrow and, and that's a really 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 sorry state of affairs and we've sort of opened another can of worms but when you know Spanish and Moroccan berries it's cheaper to import them and sell them than it is to buy British and that's not the fault of the grower that's not the fault of the farmer at all because the farmer has had all of his costs, be it seed, be it fertilizer, be it labor, be it diesel for the tractor, be it electricity, gas, everything has gone up so significantly that they can't grow the stuff for the cost they used to. Because if they did sell it for what they used to, they wouldn't have a business this time next year. And I don't think we're doing enough, really. But again, that's... That's a conversation for another day, but I think I think we we could do more. And I, you know, I'd I'd imagine it's the same where you are, and it's the same all over. Really, we don't we don't look after our growers enough. That's the bottom line. So okay, and I'm gonna plead a little bit ignorant here, but it, you know, I live in the European Union, and maybe again, this is maybe a just a media induced uh, opinion, but from where I stand. I think we thought, you know, oh, since Brexit, I don't know, everything is British first, British first. It was kind of a protectionistic move. But what I'm hearing you say is that, in fact, it hasn't really protected British growers. I mean, it doesn't sound like Brexit helped the British farming community that much. No, no, not in the slightest. But again, it's because of all of the elevated costs that, that, that have happened over the last 18 months to two years you know in my opinion we're so far behind i mean i was out in germany uh, a couple of weeks ago and uh, belgium and a bit of france and you look at the produce selection in your supermarkets and it is it's vastly superior to what we have here mm-hmm. down to the fact you know the, the whole head the, the whole heads of lettuce they're they're loose they're on the shelf they're loose and, you know, I saw in one supermarket, there was a woman going over them with a spray bottle. But they're the right money. I think they were about three or three, three and a half euros ahead in the supermarket and people were buying. Whereas in the, you know, they could charge 59 pence for it. Yeah. Yeah. So I suppose, you know, in, in, in Europe, in part of the world, it's, 
potentially not as much of an you know all the market when I was in Germany and I don't know whether that's just me getting lucky or not but everything was in biodegradable cardboard punnets whereas in the UK it's throw everything in plastic because it's cheaper it's all just the race to the bottom all the time and it yeah. is it is quite draining to be honest with you that you, you know that that's what we have to work with and that's the parameters we have to work around in order to to sell any produce Right. So very faster growers as well. Um, yeah. So you're, I mean, you're able to speak really firsthand from not just a wholesale distributor's perspective, but also, you know, from someone managing the entire farm operation as well. Um, what, are, I mean, you've mentioned it, but what are then the number one, two, and three issues if you had to kind of boil it down? that you think are most pressing, especially at a farm level, because wholesalers, they need farmers to exist, right? Let's not make any mistakes there, right? It, it's, it's, it's still food you're trading. Uh, you need the farming community to be, to be viable. So, you know, kind of to highlight to my listeners here, our listeners here, what are the kind of three top issues you'd like to see addressed at a farming level? They do, but I am just gonna throw that one right back at you. As much as farmers need wholesalers to exist, wholesalers need farmers. Otherwise, yeah. they don't have a business either. And I think that is, that's the bit that's forgotten. Now, the growers, the growers, the suppliers, the importers, they know 100% that without the wholesalers, caterers, etc., there's no business. That's a given. Otherwise, we wouldn't have anything going out of the doors on any given day. But I think sometimes it's forgotten further down the line that it also works the other way around. You know, and when when there is too much of a crop and it goes into a wholesale market and it's on an open, semi-open price, you know, it's uh, sell it and give me some money for it. And, you know, some of these wholesalers try and give you a quid try and give you 150 a box and you think well what are we running but it's not helping anything in the long run um but in answer to your question i would personally say that the, the biggest issue is uh, well i suppose one two three just highlight the three most expensive things the cost of packaging has gone through the roof the cost of labor has gone through the roof just the sheer costs of everything yeah i read i was reading a really interesting article the other day actually I, I don't know how true it was but it said um and it was uh english tomatoes if well, i can't remember where it was now but if this the english tomato grower if he'd have put the cost of his tomatoes up in line with the cost percentage-wise that everything else had risen up to his tomato season, he'd have had to have been charging something like £32 a box. And, and what was he, you think, charging in reality, just to kind of... Well, I mean, English tomato, it's, it's been no more than 10 quid all season. Wow. So that's almost a £20 discrepancy. Yeah. But this is the bit, but again, this is the bit that's forgotten. You know, it's it's the hidden costs. It's it's the box, the cardboard box. You know, the, the cost of cardboard's gone up. The cost of polystyrene has gone up. All of the bits that you take for granted, because it's the bit, you know, if something's in a plastic punnet, the plastic punnet goes in the bin. But the cost of the plastic punnet's gone up. And, and I know, you know, it just sounds like all we've done is talk about the cost of things. But that is... So I really like that you just said that because I and and um, because I agree with you. It sounds like all we worry about is money, money, money. But it's a really important point, and it's one that keeps coming up with several different guests. You know, um, it, it's it's actually a point that I think if I could say that there's one reoccurring theme, it's this financial viability of the farming industry. Yeah. And Massive. one thing that I really you know, I appreciate you saying it again, because 
um, or really highlighting it because what we're seeing now is more and more regulation, more and more policy, more and more pressures, right? But it's all being built on this really fundamentally flawed accounting system or really fundamentally flawed balance sheets at a farm level. And I think yes. what we kind of forget but is that if we don't have economic viability, we can't really do all the other things like create a sustainable system or better food or, you know, all these other things we want to do um, because the system might collapse economically. Absolutely. But the other, the other thing to note is uh, for people that, that don't know, the margins that we work with in fresh produce are so small. They are, you know, we're talking like we're talking about the difference of one or two percent can make a huge difference over the course of a month or a quarter or however long. You know, we're not working in an industry where you know, like these businesses you see on the TV and they make 100 percent profit, 90 percent, 100. You know, they're buying product, you know, buying plastic toys out of China for one pound ninety nine and retailing them for 30 quid we're not in that sort of industry we're in an industry where you buy something for eight pounds if you sell it for nine pounds you've had a good day and, and that's the thing and that's when somebody turns around to you and says right i mean we're sat here now right and we're saying the cost of everything's gone up if we say the cost of cardboard let's say for example may have gone up 30 pence a box but in our world, that 30 pence is enormous because it's, it's that 30 pence is potentially 50% of your profit on that box. Mm -hmm. And I think, again, that's, the, the margins on this stuff are so small. We're talking about like finite numbers that you have to try and juggle it around. Right. No, and, and, and I, I really appreciate you highlighting that because... It's not like, it's not the same thing when, a, and I think this is a really common misconception. You hear a farmer complain like, oh, I'm not, you know, we're not making enough. It doesn't mean at all what like someone who works at Amazon or, or you know, or the owner of Amazon would say when he said we're not making enough. I mean, we're talking about maybe reduction of, of, of just profitability in a lot of sectors. In agriculture, we're literally talking about negative balance sheets is the is the alternative right so from break even to negative right and i think that's a really important point to highlight because like you said we keep hearing you know the average person is hearing about all these people who are on these massive profiteering missions but it's really not like that in farming um you're you're definitely not gonna at least today you're not gonna become a trillionaire uh running a farm <laughs> no not in the not, no we're in if you want to be one of those we're in the wrong job right um but it, it, it's true and and you know i i'm sure that everybody you've had on this podcast and will continue to i'm sure at some point they've touched on it because it is it is one of the biggest if not the biggest issues facing what we do you know because there are that there's so many layers of of cost that have all gone up exponentially in the last 6 12 18 months yeah. you know down to down to how much we how much you have to pay a person to drive the lorry down to the diesel in the lorry the cost of the pallet that the boxes go on the cost of pallets has gone up and it we could go on about it for hours and but again, it goes full circle back to what I was saying at the very start about my personal frustrations with the, the big retailers, because they're still putting produce on the shelf at a loss. And for me, I find it quite insulting that we all put so much hard work and effort into what we do to then watch people. I mean, we're, we're talking about bag like kilo bags of carrots parsnips potatoes you know cauliflower savoy cabbage we're talking about putting those on a shelf at 19 pence now correct me if i'm wrong but i can't think of anything in the uk that i can buy for 19 pence so it's it just makes a complete mockery of what we do 
we, we, we put so much effort into what we do to then basically watch somebody give it away for free. Now, yeah. not me personally, because I don't deal with those big retailers, but it's still produce. I know people that do. I've got friends that do. And it, it, it's not, you know, I, I don't like it at all. And I, I, do I think it be, should be shot, stopped? Yes, I do. Yeah, you, you, you would really like the work from a previous guest, um, Lisa Jack. She's been actually really on the forefront of kind of some of these retail profiteering investigations that have been happening in the UK. And she's a professor. She's been writing on um, kind of accounting issues in, in, in agricultural businesses and supply chain discrepancies. So it's absolutely, I think you're just hitting it home from the perspective of someone who works in the industry every single day. I mean, you breathe, live produce um, that if we continue on this way, it's, could be a detriment to um, our supply chains. And like you said, there's this element of not valuing um, something that really does have a much higher price tag. Um, I mean, you've given us three, four examples of, of that. Um, so, I, I, you know, looking to kind of, and you said something really interesting earlier, you know, you said it does take the, the wholesaler and the supplier to kind of work together, right? And to create this almost what sounded like a symbiotic relationship. Um, you know, you've been doing this for a long time and you touched on it also in kind of one of the first questions about the importance of relationships. What is your kind of personal strategy being in sales? And I'm, I'm going to kind of move us away from the costing topic toward um, kind of your own personal skill sets. What is your approach to kind of building partnerships and, and, you know, Highlighting again, everyone always says this industry is a, a people industry. It's peer to peer. It's, yeah. you know, you hear this all the time, but, you know, could you shed some light on what that really looks like? What does these relationships with suppliers for you look like um, kind of firsthand, if you have any anecdotes to share? I, I, I think relationships with suppliers are one of the most important things that we have as, as people, because again as we said earlier on none of this stuff is made in a factory right it's all grown so so the supplier only has so much so if you get on with whoever it is that's supplying it the chances are you're going to get a bit more <laughs> and i know that's very very simple layman's terms but it, it, it is it's a it's a hugely people driven industry it is it, it, and you have to get on with people you know there's there isn't that, that that's the bottom line it, it, it's just about relationships this the whole industry is built on relationships because you have so many links in the chain from the farmer to the wholesaler to the transport company if you're exporting and importing you've got shipping companies you've got clearing agents you've got growers overseas you've there's so many, you look at a lettuce, just a single iceberg lettuce, the amount of people that have been involved in that, just one item. And that's where the relationships are built from. And for me, that's why it's so important to build relationships with people because you never know when you might need them. And likewise, they might need you, but you, it's always good to have that phone book just full of people you can call on. It's like, I mean, you and I, I, mean, I can't remember how many years ago it was when, when we first met, but we stayed in touch, always try and have a drink whenever the stars align. I don't think I've bought anything off you or you've bought anything off me for probably five years. But here we are. But, it, <laughs> but it's, it, it's that relationship thing, isn't it? It's... It, 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 it's all about relationships with people. Um, but in answer to your question, I think wherever you are in the chain, the relationship with whoever the supplier is above you, whether you're the chef buying off a catering company or the caterer buying off a wholesaler or the wholesaler buying off a grower, the relationship with that person at the next step above you on the ladder is is vital to to success. It has to be. 
because if you if you fall out with the person who's supplying you it's just a recipe for disaster isn't it and i think that's you just really highlighted a visual that comes to mind for me when i think about trading is it's almost like these building blocks that stack on top of each other right and you need the one that came before to create you know for in order for the next one to be stacked on top and i think you know it's it's like an ecosystem it's a little bit too linear maybe it, maybe you know we need to look at how that could become a bit more um collaborative and i think you touched on this earlier is you know looking to the future you'd like to see um a bit more working together and and i guess you know one thing that we see a lot and is supply supply chain abuse you know uh like i said sometimes these linear kind of stacking on top of each other also creates this chain of just barking down like there's a claim at the retailer the retailer then passes it down to the wholesaler or you know the intermediary who has another intermediary and then finally makes it to the supplier who then yells at the picker because you know maybe <laughs> that's that's always the visual i got when i was working um really in the supply chain was it's like the thing i do in my little cog is gonna affect all these other people yeah like 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 down the river right or, or up the river upstream downstream so uh, you know it, it's it's um it's but really the bit the the the, yeah. the little bit sorry to interrupt you there please, but please. the 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 bit that i think a lot of people don't realize is that when you have you know the the rejection claim whatever it might be at the top and then everybody starts passing it down passing it down passing it down who's at the bottom the person at the bottom is the farmer it can't go any further than the soil so once it's been passed down and passed down and passed down and passed down inevitably some of that cost makes its way to the person at the bottom in this case which is the farmer now if we keep doing that eventually the farmer is just gonna uh, sell his land for houses or give up and then what do we do then you have to import yeah. more so it goes back full circle i've always you know when you when you have an issue in the supply chain it's better for everybody to try and work it out somehow between themselves i know you know you touched on the supermarket thing again and we can go around the houses but it that's another thing that needing at is 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 the waste is the, the you know the supermarket rejections the level of food waste and what we're doing because yeah. it hell of a lot of it there is uh, again if if mr joe public doing his shopping on a saturday afternoon really understood the level of of waste in not just in our industry but in in general you know it is it's eye-watering really and it is criminal when you think there are due to you know current circumstances there are a lot of hungry people in the world there are people going without meals there are people using food banks and we have farmers driving tractor and plow over fields of produce and produce going in the bin because it's a little bit too long a little bit too short a little bit too thin or a little bit too fat so what's the easiest thing to do throw it in the landfill for me that just fundamentally should not be allowed to happen yeah and i think this is a you know you're raising a good point about policy level um shifts being needed right we and i and it's a cry to policymakers as well and i think it goes back full circle to your point about you know what what does the uk want you know is it going to be supporting local or is it going to be import because what you made that really really great point it can't go any further than the soil that really really resonates with me and gives me goosebumps because we're actually talking about domestic foods food security at some point right if we keep pushing businesses to close farming businesses to close uh eventually we will be completely dependent on other countries or foreign countries to, to to feed ourselves right and those are questions we need to i think ask ourselves as a society or or as a um a, you know a group of people um 
you know, do we want that or is it even sustainable? Right. I mean, we talk about sustainability is, is, is importing. It's not, is it? It's, um, it's not. Importing relies on either aeroplanes, cargo ships, lorries. It's, it's not sustainable at, at all. If we, you know, if we start the discussion on sustainability, then nothing should be imported. Right. If it, you know, if it comes from overseas, it's either got to come on a train or on a ferry or on an aeroplane or a boat. None of those things are greatly sustainable last time I checked. Right. Absolutely. And I think we could definitely have a whole nother podcast probably about sustainability alone. I'd like to, <laughs> to take the last couple minutes here to, you know, we've talked a lot about the negatives, right? There's a lot of issues in, in the food and especially produce sector at the moment. Is there anything that has you excited? I mean, maybe it's a project you're working on. Maybe it's a trend you're seeing. Maybe it's, um, I don't know. Is, is there anything in this industry that, that gets you excited? It, it, it all makes me excited. I love it. Otherwise I wouldn't do it. You know, it, it's, and I think we're all in that, in, in that same, we all sit and moan and rant about how difficult it is. Because it is, and I think it's important to highlight the difficulties that we have in the produce trade. But equally so, you, you can't get away from the fact that it is great fun. You know, it is, it, it, it's a lot of fun. The relationships you build with people when, you know, and we get, we, we do get to do, we get to see things, you get to do things that not, not everybody does. Um, it's a great way to earn a living. It's it's very hard work. It is tough. Nobody's going to pretend that it's not. But it it is it is a good way to earn a living when it goes right. Um. For me, I get I get the most amount of my satisfaction and excitement from the job just on a day to day basis when things go right. That that's the bottom line. You know when when. You see things, you know, things coming off the farm, things we've imported, going on a lorry, going out to customers. Everything's on time. You've got no issues with anything. The QCs haven't rejected anything. And you know you're going to get paid at the end of the day. That's the bottom line, isn't it? Yeah, you're feeding the world. I mean, that's the thing, right? You're making it all possible. And it is such a sophisticated, complex cog. I mean, even though you're just one cog in the bigger wheel, right? Still, that one cog that you're managing, and I think this is also really worth highlighting, has so many moving parts between the trucks going in and out, the packaging, the restacking. The, I mean, there's so many moving parts. And when all that works like, like an orchestra coming together, yes. singing, I think it gives you, I, I know what you're talking about. It's like deep satisfaction, right? You're making something that almost seems impossible. I mean, like the laws of what is it called? Uh, entropy, right? Everything wants to be in a state of chaos. And somehow you've managed to take it out of the state of chaos and create something that's functioning and working, yes. and you're getting paid to do it. And it's, it's yeah, I, I totally know what you mean. It's, it's absolutely, it's thrilling. Well, I mean, you, you you you've seen you've seen our site, haven't you? It's uh, busy. There's lots going on. Like you're saying, when when it all comes together, it's deeply satisfying because there are so many things that can go wrong. <laughs> when when you uh, yeah, when you have those days where nothing goes wrong and everything goes as it should, it's it's very satisfying. Absolutely. So looking to the future, how do you see the future of agri food trade evolving? Um, to be honest, I don't know. I, there needs to be a shift in the consumer mindset before anything evolves from field level onwards, in my opinion. That is, that's, you know, I think we can all, we can all sit and have discussions about seasonality and eating seasonal and shopping seasonal and British farming and da 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 da, da. But until the people on the shop floor start putting British in their baskets or requesting British when they're shopping online or however it may be, 
you know, I would I would love to see the supermarkets, the, the, the retailers. I'd love to see the shelves when they can be British produce to really get behind it and back it. I'd, I'd love to see that. But until some attitudes change, I don't think that is going to happen. So sadly, in answer to your question about what does, you know, what, what is, what does it going to look like in the future? I don't think it's really going to look any different to how it looks now because people want everything 12 months a year. Right. And we don't grow, we, we don't grow bananas in the UK. Right. And 80% of people, if they go into a supermarket, are they going to buy, I say 80%, possibly not that many, but are they going to buy a punnet of British plums or a bag of British apples? Or are they going to buy the same bunch of bananas that they buy every week for the last 20 years? Right. As humans, we're creatures of habit. That's the thing. And I suppose when you have access to bananas from Ecuador 12 months a year, or you have access to British plums in punnets from the supermarket for two or three months of the year, you just continue to buy what you buy all the time. Um, but again, we, we could talk for hours and hours, you know, it would be, it would be fantastic to see the retailers get behind it, put promotions in place, British, British, you know, but it ultimately as again, it comes down to the cost of this stuff and there's a huge war and I don't know if it's the same in Germany, but there is a huge war at the minute for the supermarkets to be as cheap as possible. Every week there's a witch report which tells you which supermarket is currently the cheapest on a basket of, I think it's like 20 items or something. Um, and that's that's where we are with it, and which is a shame because it, it's already cheap. You can't make it much cheaper. What you're talking about is literally, and I think – you you almost gave me a small epiphany here is 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 literally fundamental shifts around how we look at food and how we value food from where is it the cheapest right like you, you said the cheap sheet or whatever it's called um you know we need to kind of reinvent from where is the cheapest and maybe create a new consumer priority checklist right so number one yeah. can't be just what's the cheapest but maybe number one has to be um, you know, what tastes the best, right? Let's talk about, you know, yeah. taste for a second or, or, or what is the most local or, or who am I supporting with this actual piece of, um, you know, fruit that I'm buying? Is it, you know, um, Juan or is it Diego or is it, um, I don't know, um, you know, Steve or Jerry, right? It doesn't really matter. <laughs> or maybe a female, let's put a female name. Maybe it's uh, an Anna or, 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 you know, the point is just, I think, you know, we, we need to really change, like you said, that consumer mindset um, and, uh, yeah, kind of shift what we prioritize. Um, and I think a lot would change. I agree with you. Yeah, absolutely. It should be, it should, there should at least be an element of, of provenance with this stuff. Um, but it, it seems to be lacking for, in order for the cost to take priority yeah and that's the thing and that but you know if it's yeah if a spanish cucumber is 50p in the supermarket but to put a british one on the shelf is 70 i mean i I don't know if i'm right or not but who'd really notice yeah we're talking about 20 pence we'd, we'd just look after your own that's what i'm trying to say really but yeah, I like that. All right. So any final words you'd like to share with the audience? Um, any kind of last bits of advice to give? Just as I've, as I've said, I've banged the drum for an hour or two. Um, if, if you are in the UK, support your UK growers. If you're in Spain, support your Spanish growers. If you're in Germany, support your German growers. Just look after the people on your doorstep. Because ultimately, in the long run, it's better for everybody. It's better for everybody looks after their own first. That's just, that's the way it should be, in my opinion. 
as you know working for a company that is that was predominantly started and, and is owned by growers and seeing it day in day out and the impact that it has the impact that it has when you have a fridge full of english apples english plums english brassica whatever it may be and and you can't sell it because somebody's bought in containers from the other side of the world it, it's mighty frustrating and it, you know if there is and when there is no i keep saying british growers but just lo local to wherever you are when there is no local growers left we'll all miss them yeah i agree um Thank you, Nick. Thank you so much for sharing your really valuable insight. Um, it's been a real pleasure speaking with you. And I, I really look forward to kind of seeing how the future of, of British agriculture shifts uh, in the next couple of years. And, and like you said at the beginning, I think global agriculture, uh, you know, it is all interconnected. We live in a globalized world. There's no denying it, right? You're you're living proof of it, which you've shared with us today, that what happens in Brazil does affect, you know, what happens in the UK. And, um, you know, if I can also just share my little last anecdote is that, you know, I really hope that people also realize the complexities behind the food system and appreciate and take a moment to appreciate you know, where their food comes from. And like you said, not just take for granted that it's available to them at 10 cents on the dollar. Um, yeah. So again, thank you so much for joining us today on Agri Insider. It has been an absolute pleasure speaking with you and we hope to keep in touch in the future. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. This podcast has been brought to you by Tridge, the leading global intelligence and networking platform for agriculture. Visit us at www.tridge.com to find out more.